if I'm budgeting off of what I've already done, it's just not as helpful to me, you know, on a go forward basis. And so when we're taking a forward look at users' upcoming bills, that's really where we're able to provide, you know, more proactive financial advice around making positive changes. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 56th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Michael Bank and Seth Finster to the show. Michael and Seth are co-founders of Blip and they are doing great work to empower positive financial health for people. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. You know, this is going to be fun. This is this is this is the first time that I've I've had two people on the show at once, and so I know you guys are going to add a lot to the conversation. And now that we're fifty five episodes in, and when we look back and we reflect on this great century that we'll call twenty twenty, and we we're looking ahead now to twenty twenty one, I just want to start the dialogue and the discussion around. What are you most energized about, whether that be personally or, or professionally? Sure. Yeah, I can certainly start off on that question. And so, you know, we, we really, you know, from our perspective with our company, Blip, you know, we, we really believe that consumers can't effectively save, spend, or invest without first taking care of their bills. And so that that's kind of goes a lot towards the larger purpose you know, on, on what we're focusing on. And so the, the mission around Blip is really to empower positive financial health, as, as you alluded to in, in your introduction there. And, and so we really are doing what we do because we want to, to really address the lack of help and the lack of education around financial management that has, has really affected us. And so that's what we're excited about for the future. And so Blip really helps look at finances in, in more of a, a forward or or an upcoming way, rather than looking at historical trends. And so that's really you know, where we think mm. there's going to be additional value to help people with their uh, financial health and, and financial wellness. I really like that perspective. Blip is future focused versus being rooted. When we traditionally think about financial services, it's historically focused or reviewing past transactions. And that's very hard because it's, it's a lot of like when I think about and, and coach financial brand leaders, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in the present moment making decisions that were informed by the past where in, if we look in this post-COVID world, particularly f- from financial services, how quickly things are changing and evolving. We look at the, like even from a consumer standpoint, financial stress, those levels are out the roof right now. So I, I like getting ahead of the problem before the problem even exists. Is that a fair summary of the perspective of Blip? Yeah, absolutely. I said, sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, I was just going to say for sure. And I, and I think again, like what excites me and this has been a tough year for everyone. I think uh, it goes without saying, but at the same time, we've seen so many changes happening so much quicker than we anticipated. Like the, the timelines of digital adoption of really obviously in financial services, but just across the board in every industry are just accelerated by even decades. And so I'm personally really invigorated about that because we're kind of emerging at this time where it's really everyone is just like, how do we make this work now digitally? It's just like a, it's a completely different world right now. And so again, like, like Mike was saying, it's really about bringing that digital point of view to the forward looking aspects of financial management. And, and James, you alerted to it before, everything has really been about historical spending and prompting your user with the notification that they spent, you know, X amount of, of dollars on God knows what in the, in the last month or the last year. And, and that can be really helpful, but it, it really just seems more like budgeting and just time and time again, people have shown they, they don't really care about budgeting, but they do care about the bills they have due the next month and the ones after that. And so that's really where we're focusing. I, I love that perspective, Seth. And, you know, let's talk about that. But why is budgeting painful? Why is budgeting hard? I mean, you know, it's one of those things I think back and, and to your point, the, the changes that we've seen in digital, I've been in the space almost 20 years now, and I've never seen this type of acceleration. And it is, it's, it's very exciting, but it can also be very scary for those as well who, who have made a career. But I want to talk specifically about budgeting and the challenges of budgeting for people. Why is it painful? I just think pe- people don't Maybe for one, I think as a, maybe as a culture and as a society, we, we tend to be very spending consumption-based market in the U.S. And I think if you really looked at maybe what you should be spending versus what you should be spending it on, maybe I would say it's probably that people don't want to know that they're doing something that maybe isn't in their best interest and that they kind of don't, they don't really care about what they spent on. They just kind of care about where they're going and they don't want to go through the whole process of saying, I have this much coming in and I can spend it on this, this, and that. And I think the other layer is like, it's not, it's not really easy to do that. And so maybe it's maybe in, an, in an ideal situation, a budget is great, but I think by calling it a budget, you think about sitting down and like in the old, older way of balancing a checkbook and running through your, all your statements and, and no one wants to do that. And I think if you kind of said to them, you know, this is an automated system that really budgets for you because in, in an essence, your budget is your bills they would say, this is great. Like you just kind of can't call it budgeting. You'd have to kind of call it managing your finances, but it's, it's kind of one and the same. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that point. And just to echo it, I think that, and this is again, what, what James Robert was bringing up previously, but a lot of it around the, the historical trends, you know, if, if I'm budgeting off of what I've already done, it's just not as helpful to me, you know, on a go forward basis. And so when we're taking a forward look at users' upcoming bills, that's really where we're able to provide you know, more proactive financial advice around making positive changes rather than retroactively saying, oh, I messed that up or I should have done this instead of that. It's, it's kind of catching it proactively and being able to help people make smarter decisions before they've actually made those decisions. You know, the, the way that I hear you guys distilling this, I think a lot about healthcare and this like the trip to the doctor. No one wants to go to the doctor because it's painful and, you know, it takes time. Even, even there was a report by Viacom 
that specific and talking about financial services, this was a couple years ago that said people would rather go to the dentist than to go visit their financial institution. And that's, that's a pretty painful statement right there. But I think too, healthcare is starting to transform the way that they're positioning themselves because they're talking about preventative medicine, getting ahead of the problems before the problems even exist. And so when we look at this from the lens of financial services, that's why I appreciate the, the, the work that you're doing. And, you know, budgets, they're hard, they're scary, they're painful. Let's talk about transforming that perspective through the work that you're doing at Blip. Yeah. I mean, we, we think a lot about this topic because we're really a, a digital organization from the ground up, but we're working a lot with companies that do digital. And I think that that's an important, you know, we think that's an important distinction. And so it's really about leading the organization to the problem. And I think that the, the healthcare analogy is, is a good analogy. And, you know, we, you know, we have seen a lot of changes around digital, especially in the, in the banking space like you said, in a, in a post-COVID world, but it's really taken a, a catalyst like, like the COVID for, for a lot of these institutions to, to take more of like an introspective look at their technology. But I think that they really are actively thinking about ways to improve their experiences for customers, just in the same way that, like you said, in, in the healthcare side, they're, you know, they're actively trying to do that as well. Well, let's talk about that experiences. Experiences are particularly when we look at digital experiences, digital experiences are nothing more than well-defined systems and processes that have been defined, applied, and optimized over a period of time, resulting in one of two things, a positive emotion or a negative emotion. And when we look at the systems and processes traditionally of bill pay, that an incumbent financial brand, bank, credit union might bring to market. What are some of the challenges that those traditional systems might present either internally for the financial brand, but also externally for the end user or the consumer? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, I mean, these legacy bill pay systems are really expensive and they primarily run on ACH transfers and, and writing checks on the customer's behalf. And so, that's an expensive way to pay a bill for the actual financial brand itself, but it's also doesn't, it doesn't really gel with the more digitally native consumer who's expecting, you know, like instant notification that their payment was made or that they want a flexible option to use a card. We know cards, debit and credit are very popular. And so right now that whole system of, of how you really go and pay a bill even in this situation where you can kind of see it digitally, you still have to go and manually submit the payment either through your bank's bill pay, which we know isn't really getting a ton of use or, you know, just managing the, I think it's on average of uh, seven bills a month per, per person. So you got to, you know, go to seven different websites at seven different times during your busy life and each month and, and make those payments. Like it's a lot of things fall through the cracks. Which, by the way, those websites are not always mobile optimized. And I'm calling out my city m- municipality with their water bill. So no, that's, uh, definitely, that's definitely true. But if we, if we think about it, like Seth just mentioned, you know, the average number of bills is, is seven per month. And what's interesting is that about 75% of those bills are actually paid on, on biller websites. 
And like you just said, most of these builder websites are really not optimized to be user friendly. It takes me like 10 minutes just to pay my utility bill. <laughs> and this is, you know, in, in its current form, what people are considering the better approach than using the traditional bank bill pay model. So that's where you know, you know, of the 15 billion bills that are, that are being paid, you know, annually, that this is the best approach people are taking and it's still subpar at best. And so that's where, again, if we can figure out a way, which is what we're trying to accomplish, obviously, with Blip, to really improve that experience from the ground up, it's really going to take everything to the next level. And it's really going to enable the, the financial institutions to, to bring customers back to their organizations because they're predominantly not paying bills through the banks and credit unions currently. And if we get people to come back and to pay through the bank, to pay through their credit union, that reinforces, once again, that positive relationship because you're simplifying the complexities of my life. You're helping me to stop losing this valuable time and to have this annoying frustration because as a consumer, my expectation is being set and really met by GAFA, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. And even on the payments front, you know, I think about like Zelle has done. Like, you know, or even Venmo, it's that simplicity of being able to, to, to move money from A to B, peer to peer, person to person. Even for me with, with, with four kids, you know, it's a requirement that my babysitters have either a Zelle or a Venmo account so that I don't have to come home at midnight and have to stop by some like shady ATM and pull out some cash. I'd rather just you know pay them on the way home and life is good and we go on. So no, I, I really get where you're coming from. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. And the, the, the really, the, it's all about opportunity. And like Mike, Mike mentioned, you know, there's 15.4 billion bills paid every year, and that's for about 488 a second. And that each one of those is a unique opportunity for a financial brand to make an impact with their customer. Because we 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 talk a lot internally about a world where you know your your bank says to you like we see that you have this credit card bill and it happens to be at a different financial institution Ooh. and you know your interest rate is really high on that and you've been carrying a balance and why don't you think about doing a balance transfer and bringing that into our you know our institution and it'll save you over time and just showing you know in a simple mobile app like how much in the dollar amount of savings would be and like just that is so powerful and like that's a scenario where one the customer is benefiting from saving money for sure but it's also a touch point with an institution who they have some relationship with, but not a main one at this time. And that institution is demonstrating to that customer that they have their back, even though they're not currently their customer for this product, but they're still looking out for them. And so, yeah, it's maybe a little bit of a cross sell, but it's really more of a, like, I'm an advocating for you. And that's what that's missing. Yes. And, and I would actually push back on the idea that that's a cross sell. That's actually a methodology that I teach called helping first. It's not even a methodology. It's a mantra. Help first, sell second. Because what you're doing is you're identifying where people are losing money and people are more likely to take action to avoid a loss and change their behavior to modify their behavior than they are to achieve a gain. So if you can I position that, say, hey, we've identified how you can stop losing, you know, a thousand dollars in this high interest credit card, you know, click here. And so it really is that that mantra of help first sell second being applied through the context of digital. And I would assume that this would work as well, not only just for credit card, but any other opportunities, whether that be auto mortgage, whatever those those kind of reoccurring payments are. Is that is that correct? 
Yeah, Absolutely. That's exactly and, right. I mean, it could, it could even, it could even be expanded beyond just the hanging products as well. You know, if, if you're fed up with your cable provider, as an example, there's mm. no reason again, because of the data we have on, on billing information that again, we couldn't help customers you know, proactively look at what, the, what other offers are available to them to be able to, again, to your point, save them money. Oof, oof. I could see, I could see just the amazing amount of opportunity to provide that financial education. To, that's not even, it's, it comes back to the whole purpose of what you guys are talking. It's empowerment because I'm empowering you to make even better decisions, decisions that you might not even know or available or you might not even be aware. So you're providing clarity into the unknown opportunities for the consumer. I want I want to see if and dig into another common pain point because I'm I'm just getting excited as, you know, speaking from my lens of of being a consumer. Let's talk about those annoying reoccurring transactions, you know, maybe 10, 12 bucks a month. We live in a, a subscription economy. You know, I've got my YouTube subscription, my Spotify subscription, my Netflix subscription, which by the way, we canceled that a couple of months ago because we were, I was like, I was just done. We're done with Netflix. And it was, if for me personally, it was a fact of Way too much content, way too many options, way too much choice to where I found that if we sat down to watch something, it was the paradox of choice applied. I, I really, my wife and I were like, well, what are we going to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? And it was like this whole, and I was like, you know what? We're not getting any value. to figure out what to watch. It's terrible. Not to mention they've subtly continued to up that subscription fee in the background. Yeah. Which yes. like, I'm really glad you brought up because another amazingly exciting opportunity with all of this is that. When Netflix decides to raise their rates, when your cable company raises your rates, you're out of luck. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do. You can go cancel, but it means nothing to them. But if everyone is able to collectively say, we don't want this, and we're not just going to complain on Twitter, we're all going to cancel at once, 100,000 cancellations coming from one platform that's aggregating these bills might get a discount collectively. And so there's some layers of not just financial advice, but also more empowerment beyond just the advice of individual, but kind of to act as a collective. And I think that's extremely exciting. Yeah. And, and so you're providing that, once again, that knowledge, that clarity, that awareness, and they are the, the annoying pain points that we might not, it might be more painful to stop that behavior to like, you know, and I can think of some subscriptions that I've had over the years to where it's like, oh, here's that bill again. It's, it's, it's only like 12 bucks a month. I'm just going to let it ride and I'll come back next month. There it is again. And it, cause it's more work for me to go out and cancel that subscription than it, at least in my mind to more work to where if you're, you're bringing that awareness to the fold, it's, wow, this is really, it's really transformative because that 12 bucks, I mean, that's $144 over the course of a year, you know, that's, and then they add up, they start to multiply. And you probably don't notice you have that subscription until they've charged your card for that month and good luck trying to get them to give you that money back. Sure. You can cancel for the next month, but they're not going to know before the charge went through. They're not going to give it back. Exactly. So what, we've already identified two major opportunities from the consumer standpoint and an opportunity from the financial brand to, to just keep people coming back. And then and, and really a second opportunity as well is to get that that help first sell second, providing 
hey, here's a recommendation that can help you stop losing money. Just something to think about, something to consider. What other opportunities are available for either the financial brands or the consu- for financial brands to bring to consumers with this? It's It really comes down to kind of is all really related to the, to the two major ones because those are really the overarching themes of like how do we kind of inject proactive elements into your financial life. I would say it's, it's really just more broadly like what, what can we do when you're not really sure how to do it yourself and how do we facilitate you doing it so that it doesn't really feel like you're doing anything right. to make your life better. It's like how do we let you manage your finances in a way that's like a controlled autopilot? Oh, I think I think all of the best products, platforms, apps that we use feel like second nature. They don't feel like any more work. I love the analogy of just autopilot, you know, because it does make life more simple. It does make life feel even better. So let's say, let's play, let's role play with for a second. I'm a financial brand leader. I'm a CEO. I'm a COO. I'm, I'm a chief digital officer. What are some of the roadblocks that you might be bumping up against right now and how are you helping to educate and empower those leaders to overcome some what i would just call limiting beliefs or there's they're stuck either in the circle of chaos that i write about in my book or what i'm really starting to and this is for my next book banking on change but stuck in what i call the cave of complacency what are ways that you can educate and empower financial brand leaders that hey there's an even better way to empower and educate your account holders by just this looking at this one simple behavior modification with bill pay yeah it's a, it's a great question and it really comes down to educating these financial brand leaders on how they can go and do this. And, and when you start talking to them about the use cases and the potential of the, you know, getting access to this type of data and these customer experiences, like they, they love it. Like there's no reason not to love it, but it's a challenge because by design, a lot of these institutions are slow moving and a lot of them are dealing with technology vendors that, you know, they don't have a lot of leverage over. And so what we've really done internally is try and build a system at like an infrastructure layer, but also, in a kind of like out of the box customer experience ready like software that they can use to really make it as easy as possible to offer this either, you know, if they want to spin up a kind of like a, a bill pay app separately from their core, you know, digital banking stack, or if they want to more deeply integrate. And so it's really our job is to not just tell them, but show them that they actually can do it. And I think it kind of goes back to our point about where the digital adoption is accelerated these are conversations that would probably have gone a lot differently uh, even a year ago. And so it's really kind of more about like, how do we take this and get it to work now and, and how fast and what's involved in doing it. And so really it comes down to not just educating them on the opportunity, but really demonstrating how easy it can be to, to make it work and make it happen. That's a great point. So let's talk about value creation. You know, you've, you've been in the market, you've, you've got some validation, what has been some of the feedback or the, the value that you've created for the end user, for the consumer? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So we're currently in the process of doing a beta rollout. And so we've been able to collect a lot of valuable feedback from the users that are actually testing out the product. And a lot of the feedback that we're getting, you know, is things that we obviously thought that we would get, but obviously then we're getting valuable feedback 
that was thought about in ways to use the product or consume the product that was not necessarily even the way that we initially intended it. And so a lot of the, the positive feedback we're getting is around the aggregated nature of the product, being able to pull all of your billers into one convenient location has been really important to, to our end users because like we were talking about before, they're typically going out to each of the biller websites individually. So that's been really, really invaluable feedback to us. Um, and then another component of the feedback that we've been receiving from, from the beta tests beyond just the user experience of the aggregation is largely around the onboarding flow because that's really important as well. Typically, the banks and, and credit unions, if they're using a, a bill pay provider, the user needs to add their card number, their payee address information, and, and even finding like what is my account number um, like is even a, di a difficult task, and so you just give up on it. And so we're quickly and easily able to get people set up with all the billers. We're able to look at your transaction history to recommend billers that should be added. And so again, it's kind of this proactive nature that people are really you know, really enjoying and giving us great feedback about from, from what we have so far. Having done at this point, well over a thousand different digital secret shopping studies for financial brands, I got to tell you that pain point of onboarding, of having to go and find those, particularly like if, if, if you have a new account holder and I'm talking like onboarding to a, to a financial brand. So a bank or credit union acquires a new deposit account holder and they're wanting to, you know, help bring all of the accounts over to new FI. Well, there's a lot of friction tied to that experience even now, because I have to go and find all of those statements. And so one of the things, recommendations that I've made over the years for, for those in our program is like, let's just put together some type of a concierge service to where I show up and I dump, you know, my 10, 12 different statements that I get. And then you can put all that, do all that work for me because it's, it's work. And I, and I love how you're addressing that to, to re once again, remove the friction to the very common pain points in people's lives. What we also, one of the other really more, more powerful thing, aspects of the feedback we've gotten was around the idea that some, some of the beta testers weren't entirely sure why they were seeing a bunch of different balances for their like their credit card bill that they linked in the app. And, and uh, one in particular reached out to, to me and they, you know, they asked what, why am I like, I think this might be wrong. It doesn't line up with what I'm seeing in like the, the bank's app. And we explained like, we're actually showing you the, the current balance, the minimum balance and the statement balance. And that was something that this particular beta tester hadn't really encountered before and said, even texted me. It was like, I just, I just didn't realize that it worked like that. And so they were just paying the like their current balance every month, which was you know not bad behavior with a credit card, but you know that's extra that they could have you know saved for something else for that same month. And so it was like that 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 educational aspect of of kind of seeing the bills like this is actually really helpful and really powerful. And so that's been a really promising feedback as well. Yeah, one one thing I would just add on to that point again around providing data in kind of just a, a clean and simple consumable format that gives people the information that they really need is we've seen a lot of people will just go into, you know, not, not to name any specific bank, but they'll go into a bank app or website and look at what their current checking account balance is and think that that's kind of like they're safe to spend amount. This is the money that I've got in my account. So I'm good to go. 
And, you know, just as like an example, if somebody has $400 in their checking account and they go out and buy a TV for, for $300, they think, great, I've got $100 left over where they're not actually thinking about, again, that proactive upcoming nature of bills they have throughout the rest of the month. And very quickly then by the end of the month, they're actually in the red. And so we you know, visually show what your current balance is, but then show what those upcoming bills are due. And then we'll basically minus those two numbers to give you almost a leftover safe to spend amount. And so we've got a lot of good feedback on, on people actually looking at that number as opposed to the current balance number. In, in gaining a better understanding of their finances. So, you know, the way that you're describing that, I almost see Blip as being the financial crystal ball to foresee the future. To Once again, now we've come full circle with this conversation. What a great one it has been to, to help people or to help prevent people from getting into trouble before that trouble presents itself. As, as we look ahead to a, a whole new year full of opportunity in 2021, what is one piece of advice or what is one recommendation that you might have for financial brand leaders in the banking space or in the credit union space? Seth, feel free to obviously jump in here. But you know, I, I would say in, really embrace the, the change. And I, I think that, again, COVID is obviously pandemic and, and has been terrible for many people. But I think that it is has, again, like we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation, kind of opened the eyes of people and, and institutions to say, well, if, if people aren't going to be coming into our branch, like what do we actually do? And so it's kind of taking that, that introspective look, which I think, you know, so it's the second half of, or even, even the first half of 2020 people have started doing, but roll with the punches of, of changes that are coming. And don't be afraid to, to make these changes because consumers are experiencing a lot of change with, with other aspects of their lives. Being able to quickly buy something on the internet and it arrives several hours later is kind of the, the experience that people have come to expect from other aspects of their life. Or even talking about like the Netflixes where the content is just right there. And so people have come to expect the same from their banking experience. And it's just not really there yet. So I would say... Don't be afraid to make these these changes. They, they might seem kind of scary, but it, it's something that is moving the, the ball forward from from a digital perspective and, and something that people really want and need. Yeah, yeah. A, AQ must be greater than high IQ. Like a person's adaptability quotient must be greater than a person's intelligence in this world because to that point, what you guys are providing, an individual, a human being would never be able to do to crunch all of this data and then to provide recommendations, but you're empowering the financial brand to further empower people. Final thoughts from you, Seth. Yeah, I would just add, I echo everything Mike said, but I would just add that it would be very helpful to, to not stop thinking that you can't do something just because historically it was challenging or difficult. And, and that might be, you know, it's, it's hard to, to do financial services digitally. And, and maybe there are some aspects that that's true, but for the most part, we can make it happen. And like, we're, we'll work with any financial brand that, you know, wants to do this. And we know every, every institution is unique. Every situation is unique, but we're working on, on a platform really that can be used by by any institution, any financial brand, because we know the power of what this unlocks. And ultimately at the end of the day, like it, it's about making it happen and actually executing it so that all of those bills are actually turned into the opportunities that we know they are. And, and it really just kind of starts with the mindset of like, we can do this. Our institution can change. It should change. And we're going to make it happen. And if, as long as you have that mindset, 
companies like Blip, we're going to work with you and we're going to make it happen. Yes. When you put the transformation of people, of account holders over the the, the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents, that's when real transformation happens. And, and what better time than now to really make that commitment because money is stressful. That stress is taking a toll on people's health, their relationships, their overall sense of well-being. And, and the opportunity that I see in this post-COVID world is for financial brands to commit to guide people beyond that financial stress towards a bigger, better, and brighter future. And I, and I appreciate the, the, the important and meaningful work that you guys, that you two, Michael and Seth, are doing at Blip. It's been such a great conversation. If anyone's listening and they have follow-up questions, they want to connect, they want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach out and say hello? Twitter is great. <laughs> Either uh, at Blip Labs on Twitter or Seth TJF for me. We can set up an email from there, any you know, phone call, anything. Always happy to chat. Excellent. Yeah, we're, we're, we're across all the social platforms and our, our website, triblip.com as well. You can be reached yeah, there. you can drop a, a note in there and we'll, we'll find you. Excellent. Michael, Seth, thanks for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.